When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, my name is Dominic Shaw. I'm with Phil Tallentire and Anthony Vickers for our latest offering of our, our Borough podcast, which has a name, Vic. Yeah, we're, we're going to go with the Tripe Supper. Uh, we had lots of uh, suggestions of Riverside this and inside that, and, but I think the Tripe Supper really captures something about the club. Uh, for those uh, youngsters who don't, don't uh, know the, the, the tale, uh, history recalls that Borough was founded at a Tripe Supper in the Talbot Hotel, which was over the border. Uh, where the board cricketers, the middle-class elements of Middlesbrough, the solicitors and the doctors uh, who ran Middlesbrough Cricket Club, but the plebs weren't allowed in, voted to, to set up a football club to keep them fit over the, the winter. This was the revolutionary new association game which was sweeping the country. And uh, it's a, it was kind of... I, I like the element uh, of the... The, the nod to our history, but also some people will say that we're talking tripe, so that fits in nicely. <laughs> it's a little bit quirky. People might think, oh, what's that about? And uh, I like, quite like the Victorian element. There's a steampunk kind of aspect to it, which I think we should encourage. It was... I like the idea that you just said there, that was for the younger people, as all those people. <laughs> 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 the, the, the likes of us we were, were there. The, yeah, we were, we there, were there at the time, and uh, I remember it well, yeah. The we reported it on the and, uh, next yeah. day. <laughs> I think, was it Steve Welsh? I think we better give him a shout-out for, the, uh, for his the, the suggestion was from Steve Welsh, who, uh, if people follow, uh, follow him on Twitter, he's called miniborough.com, and he's a very quirky artist that... That started off doing very borough-specific stuff, but he's destined for the big time now, and he's getting commissions from the BBC. And I believe at the minute he's working on something for David Beckham. So uh, you know he's uh, one to watch. But still, one take, of our own. But still taking the time to listen to your old podcast and, and going to names. matches whenever he can as well. Uh, we've heard the sad news that, that John Neal passed over the weekend. Um, looking back over the over the over the years, where does he rank among among borough managers for the job he did at Borough, and what what sort of club was he in charge of at that time? Well, it's interesting that um, we were talking about managers, weren't we, in the last podcast, and we were rating who we thought was you know the best of Steve McLeod, eh, sorry Steve Gibson's appointment, and uh, I mean for a lot of us, John Neal is kind of our first manager, the, the tail end of Jack Charlton, the beginning of John Neal. That was certainly my era, and. Um, you know, when you look at the stats and uh, in pure statistical terms, it doesn't look massively impressive. You know, four mid-table, upper or lower mid-table finishes. But I think if you look at the team he developed and was close to, it was close to getting a team that would have been a real. I think a team that could really have competed in the top six of the first division, the old first division that is. Um, he, he, he gave Borough a team that was, was not only hard to beat but also had a little bit of a flair and I think in that era Borough were no soft touches nobody liked coming to Ayrson Park in particular you know, I, I remember seeing Liverpool being beaten there when Liverpool were, were the best team in Europe um, you know, team, the, the big teams would come and either draw or get beat quite often you know, so it gave, it gave the town a team to be proud of and he also, you know, I'm sure we'll go on in a minute he brought, he brought through a lot of young, exciting players that are still regarded as the key part of that era, and, and obviously the fact that they left before their time, so to speak, was was the the, the great disappointment, the great what might have been. I think you know, 
Vic will go on, we'll touch on it in a minute, but of course it, he left the club because of a lack of ambition, I think it's believed. Um, four seasons, four very good seasons, Borough were never really in any danger of going down. Um, a strong squad, as I said, but also with players like David Hodgson coming through, Mark Proctor coming through, um, uh, Craig Johnston uh, famously. Uh, but it was a case, I guess, I mean, Vic, from, from my point of view, I look at it as very much of what might have been when you see clubs like Ipswich from that era. No real, there weren't bigger clubs than yeah. Borough, uh, but they went on to achieve great thing, things and Borough didn't. Yeah, I think he was a very important manager because obviously he came in after Jack Charlton and Charlton's champions were a, a, a legendary team, a team of heroes and they were ageing and also for all, all the good work that Jack Charlton did, he, he later on admitted that he kind of bottled the rebuilding process and he, he wouldn't spend on strikers and, and that team kind of degraded. And it was very important, having established Borough in the top flight then, that the next manager that came in did a rebuilding job without jeopardising that, that position. And I think John Neal did a very, very good rebuilding job because he had to change the ethos of the team from being the, the functional team that they were under Jack Charlton in the later years and introduce a bit of flair, and, and he did that. He, he brought in a lot of the players that, uh, in my early years, well, you know, they were, they were real heroes to me, the likes of uh, Terry Cochran and, and Bosco, and then you had Craig Johnson and Mark Proctor, and you know, th- these were good, skillful players, and there was a commitment in that team to play in exciting football, <clears> which was, you know, Teesside in the late 70s and early 80s was a bleak place, you know, it was a black and white place, and it was important that the team gave some some colour and cheer and, and a sense of opportunity uh, and I, I think the club did that you know, that, that team uh, had a couple of good seasons in the league a couple of different ones but a couple of good seasons uh, there was one season when they were fifth at the end of March and then had a wobble and that cost them a, potentially a place in Europe and then in a typical Borough fashion they ended that season by beating Liverpool, then spanking Arsenal 5 0. I and mean, that's really rubbing yeah, it in. That was a Liverpool and game also, that was on a And also, yeah. uh, we've got to remember that after a, a century of uh, underachievement in the FA Cup, twice he took Borough to the sixth round, uh, sixth round replay. I mean, we'd never been that close to Wembley. And the, the excitement, and I don't remember so much the Orient one, I think I must have been in, away at the time, but certainly the Wolves one. There was hysteria in the town. I mean, everyone was totally convinced that you know we were going to win this game, and and it was our year. This was the year when Borough were going to win the FA Cup, and it, there there was a sense about the team of possibility because there was a lot of young talent in that side, and as you said, it was it was an era when if you put together a good team, you had a decent chance of, of breaking through into onto the top table. So for me, he was an important manager taking over at uh, an important t- a, a, a crucial. Uh, stage of the club's history and the way it played out after he left you know as we, as we were talking a lot about last week about getting the right man they didn't replace him with, with, with a good enough manager and the club unravelled spectacularly in the next two or three years and yeah. I guess to rub salt in the wounds he went on to, to achieve good things with Chelsea didn't he in, in that yeah and uh, people forget of course you know we spoke about Chelsea didn't we um, in a previous podcast that Chelsea at the time were just a middling to nothing club with massive financial problems a huge hooligan element 
Um, and he went there, and you know we've we've got a Chelsea fan in the office. He speaks very highly of the players he brought in at Chelsea and the job he did there. Um, you know, and he's, he's fondly remembered. I think he's fondly remembered at the clubs he was at. You know, Wrexham, Borough, uh, and Chelsea. I mean, looking back, you know, Vic touched on the Orient game. But, you know, the, I remember both those quarterfinals, and, and absolutely right. It was thought that Borough, the, the draw felt right as well. Borough were at home to Orient who were then, I think, a second division club in the old second division. And a decent side, but nothing to fear. And Borough had them at home at Ayrson Park. And I think it was the famous uh, Billy Ashcroft miss, wasn't it, the uh, Orient game. And I, my next-door neighbour, huge Borough fan, I remember him going off to the match with his dad. They didn't take me that time, unfortunately. But I remember them coming back and just shaking their heads, thinking it was a huge missed what, what opportunity. What should have been. Yeah. But even though, of course, I had the replay at Brisbane Road. but um, And the Wolves match, again, a massive turning, potentially turning point in Borough's history. You know, we look back now with the knowledge that Borough went on to reach cup finals and win the, you know, the capital, sorry, the Carling Cup and reach the UEFA Cup final. But at the time, it felt like that chance might never come again. And with a young, pretty vibrant team, I remember the Wolves match. Um, you know, it's been repeated on things like um, ESPN Classic and, and programs like that. The the, the Essen Park, sorry, the whole game was bouncing, you know, for that game. And again, a, a big missed opportunity. Um, I also look back on that era as one of pretty much when modern football arrived, you know, the late 70s, as Vic said, from black and white to colour, the famous all-red Datsun Cleveland Adidas kit without the white band, ironically. A lot of a lot of kids grew up with, you know, wearing that in the playground or in games lessons at school, you know, the, the shiny um, nylon material. And quite often you'd see somebody with a, 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 um, an iron-shaped stave <laughs> where the mum had left, left the iron on the kit too long and it got a pale white colour. Um, you know, and it was... You you know, it was things like that. You know, it was a genuine feeling that Middlesbrough could be one of the clubs that could compete because you didn't have Abramovich, you didn't have the big spenders. There was no money in football. Um, you know, even the clubs like Liverpool, they just really relied on relied on gate receipts and, and buying and, players from Borough and buying players <laughs> from Borough, of course, like Craig Johnson and Graham Sinness. Yeah, so, they sold a couple of you know real assets at that time as well. Well, well didn't that, they? That, that's, that that was that was the problem, wasn't it? Borough, Borough produced players. And were unfortunately, like a lot of clubs, known for being a selling club. Mm. And the timing of the departures was bad as well. You know, Graham Sunes went, I think, um, in about February, March '78. So that would be John Neal's first season, if memory yeah. serves. He played so, the first season. Yeah. Right? So you know, he went, and then he went on to Liverpool to do great things. And the '78 World Cup started to make his name. And then we had really promising players like David Hodgson and Craig Johnston and Mark Proctor, young lads who had the best years ahead of them. And you know the the club was let's not beat about the bush in dire financial straits. But it um, didn't have to be. That's the ironic. The ironic thing is that John Neal actually left Borough on a point of principle because he said, "Yeah, I don't want you to sell my players." Blah yeah. blah blah. And he went to Chelsea and he went into a club that was financially in chaos, that was downsizing, that was selling its its big name players like Osgood, and they were they brought in John Neal to recruit players who were as good, but a lot cheaper. And mm. he did, he brought in the likes of Pat Nevin in that, who mm. got, I don't know, £20,000. And Nigel Spackman yeah. from Bournemouth for £20,000. Borough needed John Neal yeah. in, that, in that climate. But he left on a point of principle, because once the board said, we're going to sell X, Y and Z, your, all the, your assets, he said, if you sell them, I'm out of here. And he actually left, which is, I mean, it must be quite rare in football that people actually do 
stand by their principles. He, he would have been the ideal man, ideally, to, to steer them through that downsizing. But, I mean, it, it was... The Wolves match was a massive watershed for the club because a, after that it felt like something had fractured mm. in the club. And partly that's because, obviously, the fans were, were let down by it and you come away from that totally dismayed and everyone was under a cloud for a while. But the dynamic of the club changed as well because it wasn't just Craig Johnson that, that was being earmarked for a sale. I mean, he left, he left very quickly after that game. There was three or four that were pencilled in to be sold in that summer because Charlie Engler was taking his money back out. And I, th- I think the, the important thing to recognise as well is, aside from the problems within the club, um, the problems on Teesside, if you didn't, gr- if you didn't live through that era, um, it's probably hard to realise just how hard-hitting the, the recession was at the time. I can remember driving into, well I wasn't driving, I was, I was a passenger in the car, I was just a kid at the time, but driving f- along the A66 from Darlington um, into Teesside and week after week you'd see factory after factory closed and the signs would go up and then something would be bulldozed, you know, the, the race course closed. Um, it was a really depressing time and the, the thing that summed that up, I talked about you know games that are shown on TV you know, years after and the, the famous game against Norwich City, we, we spoke about that in the paper quite recently, um, was it 6-1 I think it was and uh, that was on match of the day and, and John Motson um, spoke about the, um, the, 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 the fact that the recession hit Teesside so hard and, and, and that explained why the attendance that day was so low um, it was a first division fixture between two established clubs, and I think the I think the attendance that day was twelve or thirteen thousand. You know, you know, if, we'd be shocked if Borough got that amount for a game against Norwich in the in the Championship now, yeah. wouldn't we? So yeah. it just shows you that it wasn't just what was happening in football. Outside of football, Middlesbrough was was having a hard time. Teesside was having a hard time with it, and. Um, it's strange how that, 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 that Wolves match now has become synonymous with the end of an era, but the, the timing was, was, I guess, awful. Mm. Um, you know, depression, but it was certainly awful because, you know, the 81 82 season was, was when Borough went down and that ultimately climaxed in bankruptcy, liquidation in 86. So it was a five, six, seven year cycle that ended in 1986 but the, the the early warning signs were already there during John Neal's time and he was well aware of that of course because he was he was getting fed up of losing his best players and also knowing that Borough was a selling club he immediately came back and took two or three <laughs> he also took Darren Wood for a fair bit of money as well didn't he I think so but yeah he um, he did he cherry picked he took Tony McAndrew as Tony well McAndrew I think didn't he well. yeah so um, but yeah in terms of John Neal um a very understated guy. I remember his interviews on television. He would be frequently interviewed on Shoot and Time Tees News and Look North News. And he always came across as a very quiet man. He always looked you almost... Have to turn the volume on. Yeah, he always looked almost on the verge of tears. It was just the way he spoke. Yeah. It was his mannerisms. But he quite thought... <laughs> he looked as though he was almost on the verge of, 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 um, of breaking down. I got a bit of a shock, actually. Um, he was actually younger than I was when he was appointed as Borough Manager. And I'm not young anymore, unfortunately, but... Um, it just shows you. I, I, he looked like a lot of managers did in that day. He looked in his you know late fifties, early sixties because it was different times. You mm. know Bob Paisley, you know people like that. It was managers looked like older men. Let's yeah. put it that yeah. way. And, and he was actually on. I think he was about forty five when he took charge of Middlesbrough. So it was in managerial terms relatively young, but it felt like Middlesbrough had a a, a long established uh, manager in charge and um, very dignified. You know that kind of manager who wouldn't seek publicity. Um, I don't know what he was like to work with. It was well before my time, but mm. I imagine he was old school. Yeah. 
you'd get what you got off him when he wanted to give you something and pretty much that would be it but um, you know four seasons four seasons in the top flight you know that that in those days was very much success when you think that before 1974 Borough had spent what 20 years in the second division mm-hmm. so he continued as Vic says the Jack Charlton um, building of the club and establishing of the club he took that up probably one step further but he couldn't kick on in terms of league position beyond I think ninth was his highest finish but likewise Borough were a team that were respected very much in those days Fast forward to now then um, on the Gazette's website this week we've got Jason Steele and, and uh, some some Strong words from Blackburn's goalkeeper coach, who says his attitude's been spot on since he's gone there. He's obviously dislodged Paul Robinson from the team. Uh, it's a talking point with him, but with Borough fans, isn't it? It's kind of either fans rate him or they don't. There's no in between with Steele, is that he's not playing against Borough. Do you think we'll ever see him in a Borough shirt again? I highly doubt it personally. I just think, you know, whatever you think about him personally, it's quite clear that Aitor Karanka and his coaches have decided he's not the man for them. And that happens in football. You do get players that just don't seem to fit with a particular management team. I'm personally a Jason Steele fan. I think he had a bit of a rough ride from the supporters, possibly because he was playing behind a particularly. Um, insecure defence I mean anybody in goal as I've said a few times for the first four, three or four months of last season would have struggled I don't care who you are and the timing couldn't have been worse for him he was injured the moment really that Aitor Karanka walked through the door he had that first match at Leeds didn't he mm. <laughs> Ayala's pass back Ayala's horrendous <laughs> pass back got sent off was injured needed an operation had an operation by the time he came back he, the, 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 the Shea Given had um, won everybody over. When he went, Mejia's got his chance. He got injured very quickly. It was then, that moment, we realised that it wasn't going to be Jason Steele's necessarily divine right to walk back in the team because, of course, Dimmy got the shout after Thomas Mejia's. And um, as he's proved, he's been allowed to go out on the season long loan. And um, I wish him well. I like him. He's, I think he's a cracking lad. He's very young, and I think uh, we've, we've talked about this a lot, me and Vic and some of the other Borough contributors. A young English goalkeeper, he's got to be worth persevering with, I think, personally. But the manager probably doesn't see it that way, Vic. Yeah, I mean, it, it's very often when a new manager comes in, it is not, not so much whether your face fits, but you know whether you buy into the, the philosophy immediately. And maybe because he was injured for such a long time early on, maybe he didn't quite gel with the new mentality around the club. Uh, it's very easy to do that when you're injured, to, to feel estranged from what's happening and you're not part of the banter. And it can be very difficult sometimes to, to get your way back in. And it clearly is that, that kind of clash because technically, I mean, I would say he's probably the best of the goalkeepers at the club. Uh, he's shown time and again that you know, he, we will remember times over the last couple of years where he's kept the, the, the team in games you know, when they've been getting battered and he's made a string of saves and then he'll make one mistake and suddenly everyone's on his back mm. but that was always the way with goalkeepers uh, I mean if you make a mistake it's very public uh, and it's never forgotten and very often once the, a section of the crowd has turned against you it's very difficult to win them back and maybe he needs a fresh start as much as anything. And, and you know, everyone's building this up as being, oh, you know, it's unfortunate for Steely. Maybe it's the break he needs. Uh, you know, he'd spent a couple of years at the club, at a time of turmoil, lots of, lots of changes at the club. You know, 
he probably never played be behind the same back four once. You know what I mean? It's uh, maybe going to a different club gives him a, a fresh start, and we'll see the best of him in years to come. And then all the people who were booing him will be saying, "Why did we ever let Steely go?" Because he was thrust in as a, as a young, wasn't he? You know, he just kind of, and that was it. That he was number one yeah. from from kind of nothing at all. I think the thing was, I think I think what all of us probably forget from time to time is just in goalkeeping terms how young he is. Mm. You know, he's. I think he's 24 now. He's, and as you said, he broke into the team under Gordon Strachan. Was it the second second game of the 2010-11 season when Borough were going to sweep all before them under Gordon Strachan's um, the great justification, the Scottish yeah, <laughs> flavoured team? And um, so he got in probably ahead of schedule, if truth be told, and but didn't do a lot wrong. And I think he's had to learn in the public eye. Um, I think the interesting thing about it is is if you look at it, take a slightly longer view on it, come the end of the season, you know, we're assuming Jamal Blackman will go back, if not at Christmas, then at the end of the season. He isn't one for the long-term at Middlesbrough, clearly. Um, Dimmy's out of contract at the end of the season. Thomas Mujias has a lot to do to convince anybody that he's Borough's number one keeper over the next uh, year or two. I think he's signed a two-year contract, possibly with the the option of a one-year extension. So... And Jason Steele, I think, is out of contract at the end of this season as well. So it's interesting that none of them could be the Borough keeper next season. It's quite conceivable that none of them will be the Borough first-choice keeper next season. You'd have to think if Borough went up, and possibly even if they don't, the need to sign um, another goalkeeper. Um, Personally, I think that's a department that, that is next in line for, for rebuilding. Quite it's, probably, It's yeah. the first time, in, I mean, since, you think, since Swater and then... There was Jones, and then there was Turnbull, and then there was Steele. It's the first time that the club are in a position. I mean, Ripley hasn't really had a chance. Where they're, where they're thinking, you know, we might have to go out and buy an established keeper. Yeah, yeah. It's the first time keeper. since Water, probably, isn't it? Yeah, and I think the thing, I think the interesting thing is, is that that's absolutely right. They're going to probably have to do that. It'd be interesting to see what happens with the rest as well. I mean, Dimmy is the sort of player you could imagine would be a really useful guy to have on the bench next season, whatever division Borough in. And let's be fair, he hasn't done a lot wrong this season. No. I think he surprised everybody, probably even himself, if truth be told. Um, the Mejia's question, well, that's going to resolve itself one way or another. Maybe she'll go back to Spain, who knows. Or maybe she'll he'll flourish in the next six months and he'll become the player that the, the guy Dockerangit clearly thought he was going to be. Um, but beyond that, uh, who, who, who is the number one next season? There are keepers out there, of course. Um, but I think Vic's, Vic's absolutely right. I think that might be a department that we see um, a genuine, possibly even reasonably big money signing, particularly if Borough go up. It's one area you cannot afford to no. take chances. You, as as you we saw with um, the Turnbull. You don't need to spend big for a keeper. I mean, there, there are a small, select group of keepers that would command a big transfer fee, but it's a very, very small group. There are a, a big group of perfectly adequate, decent keepers that are always available because uh, for one thing uh, their age is not an issue you can still buy a keeper in their mid-30s and, and, and get two or three years out of them and for another uh, for however many keepers there are in the league there's only one place in each team so there's always a surplus of decent keepers uh, I do think we need an experienced number one that you know everyone has confidence in and uh, is going who can do a job in the Premier League I mean, That's we should be thinking ahead to that now I think and Dimmy, bless him, I'm not sure he is a Premier League keeper. But as Phil says, I'm, he's also the kind of guy that would be perfectly happy if he was a number two or 
you know, doing a bit of goalkeeping coaching to, to stay at the club under those circumstances and he wouldn't spit his dummy. I think the great imponderable about the Steve, this, sorry, this, this, the Jason Steele situation is that the one thing that the fans say to me who, who, who are in the pro Jason Steele camp is that he hasn't enjoyed that run of games that Demi's enjoyed, Shea Given enjoyed, Thomas Mejia's pretty much enjoyed until it was pretty much taken out of his hands. So I think a lot of fans think, why wasn't he given a run of games? He wasn't. That's the, that's the, 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 that's the, the, the fact of the matter. He wasn't given that run of games because the manager didn't want to do that. But I think that's the great... If, if he had been and he'd either sank or swam, that would give everybody's argument, you know, he could decide it one way or another. But at the moment, there's that feeling that, well, how would he have gone... It would give you a sense of closure. Yeah, on the question. yeah. Because if you know, if he'd played behind that back four, because the first thing Aitor did when he came in was sort out the defence, and he did a terrific job at that. Nobody, I mean, one of his greatest achievements so far at the club, I believe, in getting a defence that was all over the shop to be very hard to break down. Um, you know, Shea Given, people immediately give Shea Given the benefit of the doubt because he's such a class goalkeeper. But when Dimmy proved he could play behind that defence as well, you kind of thought. Six or seven games for yeah. Jason just to see how he could go because mm. that might have been the confidence boost he needed to to take him on the next level because you feel with that with him there's a goalkeeper in there who if he could get his confidence levels back he could be a top notch keeper. But doesn't that illustrate the whole thinking of of Karanka though that Dimmy's in he's got the shirt he's doing the job so why would you change? Mm. And the other side of the coin there is it's about how you're doing in training and what your attitude you show is in training. And if Jason Steele's body language was a little bit surly because he thought he should be in the team and he wasn't doing what Karanka expects, which is to totally dissolve yourself into the collective, then why, why would Karanka pick him? Because he's not showing that he's bought into the philosophy and the methodology. Mm. So that's, that's the distance that you get. And yeah. that's possibly because he was out for three months, injured, when all these building blocks of the new mentality were put in place. No, I think I think that's the one thing we can only have we can pretty much assume, isn't it, that he you know, he, he didn't take that particular box. Um, maybe because of lack of confidence. Um, that's possibly partly down to the play. And also maybe it's a little bit of a weakness on the manager not to understand Steele's mentality. And I sometimes think with a player who's got potential, who's young, who's got room to develop. Because tw- when he when he came in he would have been, what, 23, uh, Steele, uh, mm. when Karanka came in. So, in, in goalkeeping terms, pretty much a rookie. It's 15 more years, isn't it? Yeah, yeah you know, and I think maybe it's, we, we don't see the what goes on at the training ground, so we, a lot of guesswork involved in this, but you kind of think, has every party done everything they can to make sure that Jason Steele and Burris stay together? Yeah. And I'm talking about both the player and the club yeah. here. Mm. It, is, it is a two-way process because it, it, if you remember, uh, there was a strange moment. I can't remember. We were at a away match. Yeah, it was Huddersfield. At, it was Huddersfield yeah, at the back, back end of last season. And at, at the end, Jason was warming down on his own. And he came over and made a, a, a play of shaking our hands. Right. And, oh, oh, bye, lads, nice to see you. And it felt like he was saying goodbye. Mm. And that was long before the end of the season. And you think, well, maybe at that point he's decided he's, yeah. he's left the club. Mm. And if you've mentally left the club, you can understand why the manager wouldn't pick you. And if you've, if you've said to the manager, look, first chance I get, I want a new club. And the manager goes, oh, yeah, right, we'll sort that out. And the manager feels he's doing, doing the right thing by the player. If he's expressed a desire to move on, the manager thinks, all right, I'll sort that out. Mm. 
but that by definition means you're not part of the ideology that I've built here. So you become excluded. And that's, not, that's no one's fault, it's just a natural thing that happens in, not just in football, but other workplaces. We all know people who've made it clear that they want to leave the Gazette, you know what I mean? And they, they don't join in, they don't do the 120% because mm. mentally they're already looking for their next job. That's life. It shows character, doesn't it, that a young keeper has been able to go to, to a, a decent club in the same league and, and establish himself over a good keeper. I mean, Robinson was fantastic down here last year when he went Borough, Bat and Blackburn. He made save after save. It's, it would have been easy for a goalkeeper to fold, wouldn't it? And, and you know, well, like that's, Possibly Mejias. It's the same questions will be asked of him, won't they? Well, well I spoke to the, the Blackburn Rovers writer on the uh, Lancashire <coughs> Telegraph um, this, this morning, actually, just talking about Jason Steele and uh, there was some, some quotes that he used from their goalkeeping coach saying how well he'd reacted to what was a pretty desperate start at Blackburn. I think there was a poor goal conceded, then a bit of a horrendous mix-up, which was a bit of a comedy of errors and wasn't really his fault. But he probably felt right at home. Yeah. <laughs> so in his first two games, he was involved in two really dodgy goals. And he said since then, he's really grown in confidence. He's... You know, he's He's, um, he's apparently played really well against Leeds and made a couple of stunning saves. And, um, yeah, I mean, for him personally, let's hope that whatever happens regarding Middlesbrough, he goes on as in a really good career. Because, you know, as an England fan, you want to see, um, especially a North East player from, the, from County Durham, you want to see your local players, your local-ish players thriving. And so if he doesn't make it at Borough, let's hope he makes it somewhere else. And it's probably for the best that he's not playing against Borough, he's not allowed to play against Borough because of the terms of his loan deal. Um, and yeah, it might be the start that he wants. We've seen young players having to go places where the coaches have put their arms around them and shown them that they want them and they're gonna they're gonna thrive under their 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 kind of coaching regime. So it could be the thing that works for everybody. 